Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of How to Podcast. Uh, I'm Grant, and Cameron's over there somewhere. Hello. Always there just hanging out. Yeah. Uh, how's it going, Cameron? How's, uh, how's learning how to podcast? Great. You know, I was thinking about it today, and at some point, we should, like, have, like, a test. Like, oh, we should, like, have, like, a like a, like a halfway episode where we, like, test each other. I feel like people are going to start one. Oh, good. Pop That's quiz. happening today. Amazing. Uh, you know how every episode is our most important episode we do. It's it true. started as kind of a joke, and now it's actually a good way to uh, have a growth mindset for this and try really hard to make every episode the best episode. But 100%. in that case today, I want to do a start with a, a, a trivia question for you, Cameron. Oh, my so God, you're, you're ready. serious. And if you get okay. this wrong, uh, we can't continue on with the episode. So I really hope you get this right because it's okay. very important. Well, I'll get it right. Okay. The question is... Mm-hmm. In the 1989 animated film, The Little Mermaid, yeah, what does Ariel give up to the evil sea witch Ursula in exchange for her pair of human legs? Her, her voice. What a wonderful segue into our topic today. <laughs> today, wow. uh, me and Cameron have on our... Uh, one of our college professors, uh, we've talked about it vaguely here and there, but we did get our degrees in acting and we have on today our college voice professor, uh, Chris Stanford. Uh, she's super nice and super awesome for coming on and talking to us. And uh, we're going to talk to her today about her experience being a college professor and specifically being a, a voice teacher. And um, hi, Chris. Hi. Hi, Chris. Hi, guys. How are you? I'm good. I'm happy to be here. Um. I'm really happy that you're here too. And I'm really, I'm really glad to see you. It's been very long time since we've just like sat down and talked, uh, you know, I, I, how many years ago did we leave college Cameron? <laughs> is that too dangerous of a question to ask? Uh, what year is it now? 2021. Barely. Um, so we graduated summer 2019. So it'll be two years in summer. No, you graduated 2018. Didn't No, 2019, but I left you in 2018. You did. You That's abandoned right. I <laughs> <laughs> That's not true world. I take it back. Um, anyways, so uh, the first sort of like, I, I, it's, not, it's not so much a question as it is just a, a, a chance for you to talk a little bit about what you do. Um, when I got into the, this college program and I told my parents that I was going to be in a voice class for almost two years, they were like, wow, that's super cool. You're going to learn how to sing for two years. And they just had absolutely no idea what it was I was going to be learning. And quite honestly, I had no idea what it was I was going to be learning. And it turns out that this voice class uh, covered so many different topics and so many different things in regards to that large, broad thing that is, you know, voice or whatever. So I, I just wanted you, Chris, to just give a little overview of all of the different things that you teach, just like bullet points and what goes into teaching a voice class for somebody who has no idea what that is and no idea what that looks like. Yeah. Well, I mean, I will say first, I don't, I don't think there's one way to teach a voice class, you know? Yeah. And I think when, when you talk about voice, it's, it is a broad topic, right? So, I mean, you can refer to voice and, and that can mean singing, but in, in our case, and you know, where you all were with me, <clears throat> the, the topic was more voice for actors. So mm -hmm. spoken voice, which does connect with singing sometimes, but, but yeah, but yeah you know, when we're talking about voice for actors, I think uh, a big difference between like singing voice lessons and what we do is it's really about... Well, it's a lot about breath and sometimes sort of retraining yourself to breathe in the most efficient way um, and to let let your body soften and let your body sort of experience everything that's coming at you without guarding yourself or, um, you know, without defenses up. We all build up defenses over, over right. a lifetime. Right. So th there's a lot of uh, sort of appealing of the onion. You kind of have to like get all the stuff off that we don't need that isn't totally essential to, to the goal, which I see as finding each individual's authentic voice. So there's, yeah. so it, it, it really delves into not only things like 
okay, projection, sure. Like that's a, that's a piece of it and vocal, vocal technique and right. how to do that safely and effectively. Um, and in a way that tells the story, those, those are for sure parts of it. But I think it also gets into less tangible things like what is it to be fully present with someone and what does that do to your breath and, and you know, how does your, I don't know, your, um, your identity factor into your voice and, and it's very, it's a very vulnerable thing. Um, so it, it kind of, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. I mean, it, I like it because I feel like it kind of presses into all of what it is to be a human being, not just an actor, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So that's a really winding answer to your question. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, so, you, so you, you were, you were, you are, and you were, you know, you were have chasing this, uh, pursuing this path of acting, which then led you to voice mm-hmm. work, correct? So like, how did you, how did you arrive at this, this, this idea of voice work? I mean, I, I was thinking about the other day, uh, the other day and I was like, I wonder if Chris just like one day took like a really good deep breath and was like, oh damn, <laughs> like that, that's, this is what I'm going to do now. But like, like seriously though, but like what, what led you to get to that point where you're like wanted to do well, Um, it's a good question. I guess I started out in undergrad, um, studying theater, studying musical theater. So I was actually uh, a singer first. Um, and I still am, but I don't identify solely as that anymore. Um, right. But yeah. And then I guess in graduate school was when I was exposed to the kind of voice work that, that we're talking about today. And I liked it and I actually, I mean, the, what planted the seed I think for me was dialects. So that's another part of the voice work that I do that we didn't really get into so much in my, my first explanation, but, but it is Mm -hmm. um, about, okay, how do you take on different ways of speaking dialects, things like this. And that was something that I thought was really, really fun. And I, I felt like I was, pretty good at it in graduate school. And so, um, yeah, uh, it was, it was that class that made me think, Hmm, I might want to do more of that someday. Mm-hmm. And it was for me anyway, it was, it was either going to be going into movement or going into voice because both were very interesting to me. And I, I ended up going into voice, but the kind of voice work that I teach is super physical. So it kind of Mm -hmm. uh, checked both boxes for me in a way. So yeah, Yeah. that's how I got into it. I I think I always, to some extent, had an interest in teaching, whether it was on the surface or kind of a a little deeper down. But my dad was a professor and... um, so yeah, it just, it felt like a natural fit and I kind of just fell into teaching, but the, the voice work, that's where that kind of, that seed was planted for me. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so like oftentimes theater companies will like hire out a, a voice in like text director to come work on a production with a, a cast of actors to work on specific things like dialects and stuff. Um, and you've done that and you've also obviously done a lot of like long-term professor work as a teacher for a, a group of students. Which of those two do you enjoy more? Like going in, helping on a show and doing that one specific project or working with a group of students for a long period of time? Oh, um, mm, choose wisely. Or <laughs> what do you like about each of those yeah. different opportunities? Maybe not one of them better than the other or, you know. Yeah, I think, it's, I think they're really different, um, different things because I, I mean, I, at, at heart, I think I'm a teacher. So that's what I love mm-hmm. the most. Um, you know, I haven't, there, there are people out there that make their living entirely, uh, you know, doing production coaching and dialect coaching and things like that. Um, and it's, that's also something that I like a lot. It's, it's really fun to work at a professional level with 
uh, and support professional actors do what they are looking to accomplish with a role. So, Mm -hmm. but it's a, it's a different scenario. You know, you never know when you come into a production, uh, what that particular actor's background has been, or if, if you sort of speak the same language in a sense. So it can be, it can be challenging. You also often don't know the actors that you're working with. So there's a little bit of, um, getting to know you phase in an already pretty short process. I mean, four to six weeks. So, um, so that's, that's part of the fun of that challenge is, is finding the way in for, for each performer. Um, but you know, on the other side of it, teaching, I like it because I feel like you get a chance to really get to know the, this group of people and build a rapport and, uh, and, and really from the very first day, get on the same page with them so that then you are all speaking the same language in classes and then coaching students in shows. It's, um, it's sort of a seamless process in that way. Um, and it's educational, you know, so the way that I speak to a, a student actor not, not that I mean or um, judgy, right. but it's a little bit different. It has a right. it has an educational yeah. slant, whereas right. uh, you know I'm their teacher. Whereas yeah. with a professional actor, that is not the dynamic. We're colleagues, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Yeah. And you, you mentioned know, yeah. you, all you of, mentioned a little bit go, just. Uh, well, talking about uh, uh, what finding what works for somebody, and, and in that case, you're talking about like a professional versus a uh, like a student. But like, even more so specifically, uh, finding what works from person to person is. We're, we've mentioned a lot so far, just this umbrella term, voice work. But uh, now I know. Spoiler alert, everybody! I know the answer to this. But um, is there a uh, are there subdivisions within that, or is it just? Is it just voice work? Is that like what we're doing? Or is like, you know, wh- how does somebody find the specific kind of uh, uh, piece that would work for them? Yeah, well, um, there are a lot of different approaches. If, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there are there are well-known voice teachers and voice coaches that have developed methodologies. Uh, so gotcha. I happen to be a, a Fitzmorris voice work teacher, which was developed by Catherine Fitzmorris. Um, and her work is, is really unique and, um, and individual. I mean, there's, there's nothing quite like it. It's very physical and it's fun and weird and all of those things. Um, but, but there are many, many others, uh, just to name a few, we've got, uh, Kristen Linkletter is another giant in the, the voice world, Patsy Rodenberg, Arthur Lessack. Those are just a few, and um, you know there are there are more uh, more methods that are still sort of being developed and becoming more popular. So, um, yeah, is that is that the answer you were looking yeah, for? Yeah, that, that's, that's what I was, that's what I was looking <laughs> yeah. for. Yeah, just like how to break that yeah. down. Yeah, there, and and some people are not necessarily affiliated with one or the other. Some voice teachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like to, to mix and match a whole lot with many, many different methodologies. Um, even mm-hmm. though I'm a Fitzmaurice voice work teacher, I still mix and match a bit and take from other, other schools of totally. voice. So yeah. totally. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in a lot of ways, that's like, that's, I mean, that's, that's like learning. That's how learning is. I mean, not everybody can read the same thing and, and pick that up and run with it. You know, that's how people are, especially with acting too. I mean, it's such a crazy subjective, objective thing that we do. Um, and so like, that's what I always really appreciated was the kind of like, I don't want to say pick and choose because that sounds bad, but like that kind of idea that like there, there might be something from Fitzmorris that's really working for me. Um, but then there might be a lot of other stuff that isn't. And then like, well, then I can look at these other things and I'm like, oh, okay, that, that kind of answers that question almost that like what I would, what I was going for. Yeah. So, I think, I think yeah, in yeah. so many cases, it's, it's all trying to get to the same end point. If there is an end point, mm-hmm. there is no end point. You know, it's like, you're all, you're yeah. always working. It never stops, but right. there's no end point. You heard it here first. <laughs> 
There is no goal. That's the quote of this episode. <laughs> There's no goals. Every episode we have a quote. That's this episode's quote. There is no end point. Um, so sort of uh, hearkening back to something you said briefly earlier, um, you talked about how in voice class, a lot of it is relearning how to properly use our voice. What is, I mean, I know what this means, but like, what does that mean to a person who has never taken a voice class and they are, you know, 25 years old and they've been talking their entire life and they think that they use their voice perfectly. Yeah, properly? it can. Well, I think it can mean a lot of things. I think, um, at the most fundamental level for a lot of people, what it starts at is, um, relearning how to, how to breathe. And, um, there's a lot that's involved in that. So for example, yeah. you know, say you're, I don't know, 25 years old and you have made it your, your job in life to hit the gym and be like super cut and, and you're cultivating your six pack and all of this stuff. <laughs> yep. The life I lead, exactly. <laughs> and, yeah. um, mm-hmm. and that's great. There are many, many benefits to that, right? But um, I use that as an example because, all right, if you're training your abs to be super tight and cut, then that does to some degree, if you're making that a, a habit where your body is taking that on the majority of your day, it affects how fully your body can take in a breath, right? And it, it also, when you think about it, this, the front of your body being the soft animal part of us that's vulnerable, there's a, there's a lot that goes on in the front of the body, in the belly, you know, that people um, sort of can, can cut themselves off from those very human emotions if you are constantly bracing in those areas. So, um, so that's, that's one thing that I often come upon is, is relearning that, how to, what does it mean to soften your belly so that you can, Mm. I mean, really, so the diaphragm can fully drop when you breathe in. Right. Um, and then there are also things just feeling what it is to fully expand, fully take a breath. Uh, and it's, it's relearning really because the, the way that I teach, it's um, very similar to what we all did when we were babies. And no one had to teach us to do that. Mm-hmm. It just, that's how our bodies function. And mm-hmm. right. life gets in the way and we, we brace and hold and do all of these things, some, sometimes subconsciously, and gets a little right. stuck in our bodies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I, I was, I was think it's, it's so interesting. And I've always thought this too about, you know, for something that is so physical uh, as voice work, I mean, it's physical cause it's like, it's our body and we're doing it, but how, how much mental fortitude like it requires to like to, to do it or, and like, just like, it's so mental to the side of it. And uh, what I'm wondering is like, what would you say to somebody? Cause I, I often struggled with this in class. Um, but what would you say to somebody who finds themselves in their head about it a lot? Cause I think it's very easy to get in your head with this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and so, well, when you say get in your head, do you mean like, Oh, am I doing this right? Or like sort of second guessing? Well, that's, sure. That's certainly, that's one side of it. I mean, uh, like, am, am I doing this right? Uh, uh, what is the desired goal? Because it's, it's, it's easy, uh, personal note, I always found like in, in comparing doing vo- voice work to working out, I, I always felt like it was easy because it's like when I work out after this amount of time, I can look and I can see this is what's happening. Right. But sometimes with voice work, it's like, you don't always get that. So it's mm-hmm. like, how do you know that you're doing the right things? How do you know you're checking those boxes along yeah. the way? Stuff like that. Well, I think voice work is slow in, in my opinion. It's not like you can, you know, do, do the work for a week. Um, for, for example, like, okay, Fitzmaurice voice work, a big part of it is called destructuring. So it's, um, it, it, it's also referred to as tremor work, which you can, I mean, I can talk about more, more about it later. Even people can look it up. I don't know, but, um, but it is slow because 
in order, you can't separate the voice and the body. Yeah, they're, they're really one thing um, as much as people like to think they're separate. So when you're dealing with ch opening up someone's vocal capacity, you're really, in order to do that, having to open up and release habitual tensions and things like this that have been holding on for a long time that a person might not even be aware of. And that takes time and it might be imperceptible yeah. over the course of you know, a month or two months, maybe more noticeable over a year though, right? But it is, it, yeah. it's a slow progression. Um, and I, I think what I say to people who find themselves in that heady place of, uh, I don't know if this is doing anything or I don't, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing is, um, first of all, usually people deserve to trust themselves more than they do. Um, so there's a big element of that trust what you're doing rather than constantly using your analytical brain, yeah. you know? Um, right. so it's about being in the present moment that is, uh, at the, at the core, what I think it's all about. So if you are allowing yourself to be in the moment, feel what you feel, uh, notice what you notice, then you're already ahead of the game. Uh, if, if you find yourself in that questioning place of, hmm, is this correct? Or where does this lead to? I always mm. encourage people to bring it back to what they feel yeah. in their body. Yeah. yeah. It was always an interesting uh, like dichotomy, putting things next to each other, like having that class but also being in college, like the place where we're asked to analyze literally everything. Literally everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, I feel like, especially so for the world, well, so they can know, uh, we had this class at eight in the morning. So uh, uh, being able to like do these things like that early too was also part of it. And I felt like com like literally coming off my last day where I was analyzing everything, I constantly found myself in that state of mind. So uh, that answer was for all you uh, Cameron Davises out there who uh, think about the same thing. That, that was yeah. early. That was not nice. Yeah. That was, was not nice. Some days. No, some I days often I felt like that was a it. test. Yeah. I, but it was, it was, it was also a gauntlet. And there were many days where I was like, this is, this is 8 a.m. This is a classic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you know, we then had a lot of time to enjoy the rest of our days. It was. And also, I mean, what other class are you going to put at 8 in the morning, right? Yeah. Like text analysis. Yeah. I mean, at least we all just came. Well, we had that too. And, yeah. That, but yeah, it was it, it was <laughs> awful. But that's a whole nother episode of a, of a podcast. Yeah, I forgot we had that too at eight a.m. <laughs> <laughs> when we was... talk about what we went through, because I have some questions. Um, but <laughs> but we'll, we'll get there, back there were to days that. where I felt like I didn't even have the time or the energy to put my guard up before I went to class. So it was nice to while being tired and uh, I'll be maybe a little grumpy about being it being 8am. I feel like more times than not, it put me in a place to better take advantage of the work we were doing. That's very positive of you. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> that's you know, my good uh, thing you're on this show. That's my dude. takeaway after <laughs> driving in the, in the frost at 7:30am <laughs> to this class for, for uh, almost two years. Um, uh, so out of, out of all the stuff you teach, Chris, which is a whole lot, you know, like, dialects this thing of utilizing your voice as as like a tool and the way it connects to your body physiologically you know other stuff like like singing technique and out of all those things what is your what's the thing you find the most joy in teaching to people oh oh that's so hard uh or just you know or if if, if favorite is too is too difficult of a thing to to pinpoint just like I do really enjoy this and I always look forward to uh, see what, how students react when I give them this piece of information. I mean, I really love going through the, I, I do love teaching destructuring, the Fitzmaurice destructuring, because yeah. especially right, like right now where I am, I, I'm teaching this to freshmen. Um, so it really mm -hmm. blows their mind in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. So that's fun, but but the first thought that popped into my head was teaching text. I really love teaching text. Yeah. I forgot and about teaching that. about, I mean, text, I mean, again, big umbrella, but 
especially poetic text, heightened text, and and helping people find those those words and that language, find that in their own voices, rather than some idea of what I don't know what this poem is supposed to sound like or what this Shakespeare right. speech is supposed to sound like. You know, it can just be in your voice, right? So that's exciting mm-hmm. to me. Yeah, the, the 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 super exciting thing about the text work was is as many rules as there were for it, there were equally number of things that weren't rules in ways that you could artistically interpret things. So you had this, you know, I liked it because I had this guidebook of like, you know, this poem has this structure and this line has this specific format. But within that, I have all of this room to fill in the blanks myself that aren't, that don't adhere to those same rules. Yeah. Lots of opportunities to mm-hmm. break the rules. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. That right. too. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. So there's a lot of things that uh, I've learned from you specific to voice and all of that stuff in regards to an acting class. But I was wondering if there's anything you've ever done uh, where you teach similar work, but for a different purpose other than an actor trying to, you know, use their voice as an instrument on a stage. Yeah. Um, Well, I, I think there are a lot of different applications to voice work um, outside of theater uh, specifically. And people are, I don't know, dabbling in a lot of different things. So, I mean, I've done um, some coach, some coaching in non-theater fields, like women's leadership. I, I taught at a mm-hmm. women's leadership conference before. Um, I'm actually um, going to be teaching progressive women politicians coming up in the spring. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. Um, so then... But the, the big thing that I'm kind of into these days is applying theater voice to women in childbirth. So I actually started this whole research project when I was at University of Michigan. Um, mm-hmm. We call it Impolite Birth. And oh. it's about how to use your breath and, and most importantly, be able to use your voice in the process of navigating, you know, labor and delivery, which is super hard. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I didn't even realize before I jumped into this project, it was just sort of a curiosity that I had based on my experience having had two kids. Um, and the fact that I tended to use Mm -hmm. my, um, my voice work in, in those processes but it was a curiosity that it was just that curiosity that that drove the project. And I later learned as I'm talking to these midwives and obstetricians that it's really still super common to have women shushed in the laboring room because it, you know, disturbs other people or maybe freaks people out that are down the hall or things like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you think about it uh, when you stub your toe and the natural response is to make a sound, right? There are mm-hmm. studies on that, right. but it actually hurts more when you suppress that. So yeah, I mean, like that's, that's kind of where we're going with it. And nobody's really talked about that before, but what, what voice can do in terms of being an aid to that process. Right. You know? Now with, yeah. with the application that of that, cool. I mean, are you, I guess like not right now, cause it's, it's COVID and probably don't want to go like anywhere near like a hospital, but like, how would the application of that be? Like, would you meet with these people like before this or would you like, are you there when that's happening? Like, how does that process work? So, I mean, right now what it was, it was going to be basically take the form of a childbirth education class. Gotcha. Like it was supposed to be in person that I was Mm -hmm. doing this, which obviously like that can't happen now. So at this point we've shifted things around a little bit and I'm, I'm still doing it. I'm still going to, you know, teach these classes to these pregnant women. Uh, but it's going to be on zoom as a lot of things are these days. Yes. So, um, yeah. And that's just like the first, 
thing that we're doing. And I, I think this is going to be a long range exploration and I don't know, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Yeah. It's, it's an opportunity to introduce women to this work and then we'll follow up with them after their births and find out sort of what, how to go. Did you implement any ideas or strategies and, um, and, and go from there basically. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That's just like talking about zoom and me and, and, and knowing that that's the way that you have to like teach these kind of things. How have you found that like your style of teaching voice like has to be augmented because it's on zoom. Like I imagine like given how physical, I know we've talked about that, like how physical learning the to voice work is like, how, how, how is that? Oh yeah. Over zoom. It's hard. It's hard because when you're really building people's awareness, I mean, their awareness is growing. So mm. it's difficult for two reasons, because I often, depending on the person's situation and where, what their camera angle is, I can sometimes right. see really well what they're yeah. doing, but it's harder to see the finer points of right. exactly what their torso is doing while they're breathing, you know? Yep. Yeah. Um, it's, it's possible, but I've just had to learn to pay attention and look a lot closer and, oh yeah, yeah. yeah so it's like looking and listening in a different way than I did before. Um, and I think I, well, I, I use touch, I use touch as a part of teaching too. Right. And it's obviously not possible, even in the circumstances when I've been in, in class because I have done some in-person work with these with students that I'm, mm -hmm. that I'm teaching now. Um, so I've just had to shift everything to um, focus it more on their own awareness and what they're feeling being their guide rather than my hands mm -hmm. or, you know, some external yeah. force. Yeah. Which, I mean, I think it's useful actually um, to to explore that because some, I don't know, external touch doesn't always work for everybody. So. Right. Well, I just too, I, when I think about it, I think about when I like, when I ever, I got to the classroom, you know, there was always that sense of, I mean, and this is a credit to you. Like it just like, like allowing, like it felt like a safe place where I could voice, you know, like, and, and explore that work. Mm -hmm. And like, man, I have to imagine like if I were at home, I mean, like, especially if you're in college, I mean, like you have roommates who's oh, like, definitely. they didn't sign up for like that. And like, I imagine there's like that aura of like, I can't do this fully here because there's people around. Okay. I don't know. Like, you know, I feel like in a classroom. No, no. I mean, I was in like third or third week or something mm -hmm. of this fall. And this is, I'm teaching freshmen, yeah. you know, so they are in dorm. Mm -hmm. A lot of them. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally his roommate was three feet away behind him. Right. Like in another class when he's on the floor doing all the weird stuff. Wow. <laughs> um, yep. he, he did eventually change that situation, but man, it is yeah. it, it's not been easy. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, I can imagine. I mean, and like, I guess if you're, if you're in that situation, like the whole idea of it is, is a journey in and of itself. So it's just finding that different journey, I guess, you know, like how do I explore this? But given my current circumstance, I, I don't know. Hats yeah. off to uh, you, uh, the, all of you in college right now having to do this because uh, I don't know how you do it. Uh, yeah. Chris, do you have any advice for either somebody in that situation or just generally in life who has like trouble giving themselves permission to, you know, use their voice and take up a space and, uh, you know, have a presence? Because I, I often feel that I am in many situations not. I guess, quote unquote, allowed to, to do that. And just thinking about like right now, if I was taking your class and I had to do it in my own, even in my own, my own bedroom, just in my apartment complex, that would be so weird to me compared to doing it in that like prescribed yeah. classroom. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that there are a lot of responses that pop into my head. The first is that voice is so psychological, I think. And I think um, getting curious about the the why behind that, like if that's true, mm -hmm. and it is true for for so many people. I mean, it's, I feel like there's not a human 
on earth for whom that is not true in some circumstance, that feeling of like, right. Oh, I have to mute, mute myself. Right. Um, right. And, and so leaning into the question of what, where is the fear coming from? Right. It's about, it is, it's about fear. We are afraid yeah. of a lot of things as human beings. And, um, as humans, it's very natural and normal to push away the things that we uh, that we feel uncomfortable about or that we feel fearful about, um, which actually doesn't uh, help that feeling disappear or to dissipate. So sometimes actually just allowing yourself to feel what you're feeling, not judge it and allow it to mm-hmm. uh, to be there and to sit with it actually will open up possibilities more sometimes than trying to squash a negative feeling, if that makes sense. So, um, yeah. And I think it's about permission and, um, allowing yourself to, to share something of yourself with the world and your thoughts. It's all scary, vulnerable stuff. Um, yeah, but I think it's, part of every human's growth process in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like it, it, it's relevant to like things other than just like specifically, you know, I'm taking a, a, a voice class and, and, and struggling to fully let myself be immersed in the work, you know, like just out in public, just in, in various public spaces, even my own spaces and stuff. Like it's strange how, how, often I, I, I set limits just on myself, both vocally and just in anything I do, just because I'm afraid to make an imprint or, and, and sometimes just a- afraid to affect my surroundings in any way, just because I feel like that's yeah, the or like thing to how do. much of yourself you want to sh- share or, you know, how much of your real mm-hmm, authentic right. presence you're going to let people see. That's a big, it's a big thing. And I think you're right. And that it, it does affect people that are have nothing at all to do with theater because everyone on the planet has to communicate at some point. I mean, everyone has to speak and I mean, most people, unless I don't know, unless you're in particular, um, you know, profession that you can be by yourself all day. Um, but most people do, they do have to communicate with others and the best way to do that and to get your point across is to let people see you and be fully present, which is kind of scary. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. Well, and it's also like, like thinking about like voice work too, and how much of it is just uh, like breath. Like, I mean, like breath is like our governor in a way. Like it's like how we, it's how we regulate ourselves. I mean, like specifically, I remember in training, like we would talk a lot about like, if you needed to like, things that we could do as actors that would get us to places. And one thing it's like, you know, thinking like we talked about like crying and like, you know, what would you do? Like, and you have to like kind of emulate those things in your body. And it's like, you know, with your breathing. So your, your breath is what controls a lot of that. I feel like, so for anybody who's like, even not an actor, it's like, if you can learn and you can even begin to appreciate what it is your breath does for you on the day-to-day basis. I mean, that's gotta be valuable, like in some, some way. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, breath can, um, has the capacity if we're holding it or controlling it to squash impulses, Mm -hmm. right? Shut it down. Right. Because it's something that is ooky or uncomfortable. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. Until I started really paying attention to it after being in class with you, like I, I, I didn't notice how often I'm either holding my breath or like only inhaling about 20% of what I could be before I speak or anything. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I think you're not alone. I think probably everyone does that. I do that. I catch myself when I'm stressed out, I'm doing something and I don't know, my kids are driving me crazy and I'm trying to do this thing at the same time. Everything sort of freezes, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't help. <laughs> it doesn't help anything right. when that happens. So I think starting to build the awareness yeah. of your natural habits and when those things start to occur. I mean, 
knowing is half the battle. It right? really is. Yeah. It is. It yeah. Is. yeah. I was I was similar, Grant, like with the breathing, but more specifically, like places where I held tension. You know, like oh yeah, like on my day to day, it's like wow, I'm I'm like. I'm like flexing this for some reason. Like, I don't know why. Um, but like Chris, in your experience, like what have you found? Like, is the reason why like you encounter like a student for say, who is like, you know, they're really, they're really holding stuff. Like, what would you say that that is that response? I think it can be the product of so many different things. Um, I, I mean, sometimes again, it's also psychological, right? So is it someone, for example, who, you know, cannot let go of their abdomen and cannot let go of their, their stomach muscles. And, you know, they used to be really overweight, for example, right? I mean, we hang on to these things. I had a student once who um, had a lot of lip tension and uh, around his mouth and he had had a long history of orthodontia and was very, very embarrassed by his braces when he had to wear them. So our bodies hang on to these mm-hmm. things, mm-hmm. right? Um, these habits and they, they stick sometimes. Um, so it's, it's just the knowledge that our bodies are not just our bodies. Our bodies are our whole selves and there is a psychological component to where we hold tension, for example. I mean, I'm sure people have had the experience where maybe you go to a massage or somebody's working on a knot or something and you just start crying because we we hold on to this sort of bracing and um, sometimes it's armor. Sometimes it's just what you need to get through the day, um, depending on who you are and where you are, uh, which has its place and has its function but it's probably not healthy to hold on to it all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I love that. Like the, one of my favorite things just conceptually from doing a bunch of voice work was just the realization that going into it, I, I was under the impression that like voice work was exceptionally technical and purely confined to literally just the part of your body that, makes the noise, which is like, that's, that's true. That's still part of it. But like at the end of the day, and it's kind of like this conversation we're having now, all we're talking about psychology, we're talking about physiology, that your entire body creates your voice, even though totally it doesn't feel like it, but like all of the different places in your, 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 your core, even your like extremities, the way you're standing, the way you're sitting, like all of everything about the way your body exists contributes to your voice and being aware of that and being able to control that to either support or, or, or hinders. It's it's just, it's crazy. Yeah, totally. I mean, your vocal folds, when you think about it, your vocal folds on average, everybody's are are different, but they're about as long as your thumbnail. Like that's how big they are. They're so small. And the amount of actual sound that comes just from those two little folds coming together at a very rapid rate is really minimal. So all of the rest of it comes from like a, like a cello or like a stringed instrument, it comes from the resonance of the rest of the body. So if you are walking around and this is sort of connecting back, like why does all this, I don't know, tension stuff matter is you're walking around, mm-hmm. uh, and with a lot of habitual tension and tightening and sort of shrinking yourself, you're effectively shrinking your sound too. Right. Yeah. yeah. Do you think, Chris, that if someone was like, like someone was very fascinated in trying to uncover this whole voice work mystery and they, they want multiple kinds of examples. Do you think that somebody could find like examples of this like process almost, but like not in humans, like just in nature, like, you know, like other animals sort like, could you like, could you look at like say an animal and say like, ah, you see that that's a supported breath. Yes. I don't you know, think, totally can. Yeah. The, in fact, um, as you both probably remember, like when I'm starting to teach support, because that's part of it, like how do you actually propel supported breath through your vocal folds in order to mm. make supported sound? Um, 
the first thing I usually do is show animal videos, mm-hmm. animal and baby videos. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. The, the, yep. the lion yes. and the baby. Yeah. There's, I mean, lions, you can really, even though the anatomy is different, um, between a human and a lion or a human and a dog or a cat, whatever. I mean, there, there are baseline similarities enough that you can look at the organism and say, Oh, that's kind of what happens when, when humans do it too. Right. right? It's to do with that support yeah. in the low abdomen. Babies are a great thing to look at thing. Babies are things. <laughs> it's a great thing. Babies. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's super, super helpful to look at, at babies because they don't have any, I don't know, pressure, social pressure to look a certain way or do a certain thing. Yeah. And they're just, well, yeah, you know, it's, same with same with the animals. I mean, there's no there's, it's just it's like you said, it's just raw communication. It's just the necessity it's just and happening. Efficiency, right. Because yep. bi- biology is efficient. So. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Why would why would uh, the natural tendency be to introduce extra effort? Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Or ways to like make it work not as well. You know, if you're like a lion and you gotta you gotta roar really loud to you know assert dominance or whatever. Why would you want to compress yourself and add a bunch of tension to make yourself not be right. the best lion there is? Yeah. Sure. I mean, I don't know. I guess I'm sure lions have social pressures too. <laughs> We That's could talk true. about that. That's true. A I can't, whole I, separate episode. I, yeah, I can't go. I can't go making assumptions about lions. I know very little about the, uh, the, the social makeup of lions. Oh, you're That's um, our next episode. Don't say that because now people expert. are going to expect that. All right, well, yeah, dude, that's right, your job. I'm you on it. Find the lion. You heard it here first, camera. everybody. The lion episode. <laughs> oh, oh good. Okay, well, so we we talked about what the importance of of voices just outside of like a theatrical setting and knowing that and right and now and now we just talked about how you know you know babies or 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 other things other than humans do it so then how how do we as a society get people to understand the, a its importance and then b like what would that look like in a, like a third grade classroom right like trying to get kids to understand like, hey, you don't need to put up this armor and you can just allow, you can just breathe. Because I feel like if you told a younger kid that, like maybe the product would be different later on. You know, maybe they wouldn't be so armored up in a way. I, yeah, right. I think I think you're right. And happily, I think it depends um, on where you are and what school you're in. But I mean, some schools are introducing things like meditation practice mm-hmm. or mindfulness. I hear my kids talking about, oh yeah, we learned da, 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 in, in our mindfulness lesson today. And so they're, they're doing, um, I think more, more and more it's work that, it, that relates to that. And I think it has to do not just with, again, not just with physical body and just with tension and, and mm-hmm. the nuts and bolts of that. But I think it is, it's in the importance of that awareness and that kind of work becomes really, really big when you talk about how kids grow up and have empathy or don't, you know, I, I think that when we are truly listening to somebody, you're breathing, mm-hmm. you're actually allowing yourself to breathe and receive information. Right. And there's not a whole mm-hmm. lot of sadly listening that that true listening that happens i mm-hmm. think um especially when we look at public figures sometimes or i'm sure everyone can point to people in their lives for whom that's true right um yeah. because we're all so worried about what we have to say or getting it right or what we have to uh put out right output mm-hmm. right um, but really allowing your body to soften uh, and allowing it to breathe is, uh, I think, the first step towards true listening, which then leads to things like empathy and what understanding or being curious about what it's like to be in somebody else's shoes. Totally. Totally. And, and, and listen, at the end of the day, you know, that's the stuff that we 
that's that's what we care about here. Like we want to we want to find the way that these these topics and these professions that we can connect them back to everyday life, because at the end of the day, everybody, everybody goes about their own day. Everybody lives their lives. And, you know, you can think about these things in that way and how they connect to your life. You know, then we've done our job uh, here at How to Podcast. Uh, Grant, how you feeling? You feeling like you can breathe easier? Yeah, I'm glad that you're you're keeping track of the like checking all the boxes here. Well, and like, making sure I have that. Uh, remember, we talk about that uh, that plaque that we're gonna have, just like of all of our main topics and quotes or whatever that we go through. I got them all. Uh, Bob, yeah. our producer. That, that's <laughs> Mark. What's his name? Okay. Well, that guy. Every episode. <laughs> he's so upset at us. He's, he's holding them up. He just holds them up right here, and I go down the list. So, um, but I I. I I feel good. You know, it, this, this was a, this was a fun episode to record for me because it feels like kind of going back to class in a way and rehashing things that of course I, I, I knew when we're in my brain, but just sort of like re-unlocking a lot of those memories and, and habits. It, it's good for me to be mindful of, of those things and just sort of reawaken that awareness of, he did. I just breathed in because I just had <laughs> not breathed in literally 10 minutes. Um, but just sort of reawaken that awareness of my breath and my body. So, Hey, everybody out there, make sure, yeah. don't forget to breathe. I know it sounds dumb, but it's serious. You know, it's don't important. forget to breathe. Um, Chris, thank you so much. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure thank to talk you. to you and, you know, uh, go back down memory lane. Uh, yeah, everybody. Thank you guys for stopping by and giving us a listen. We'll be back. Uh, not this Thursday, but the following Thursday, the next episode, it's a surprise. We'll, We'll we'll reveal what that's gonna be. It's gonna be good. It's, it's gonna, gonna be, be about. You gave away the surprise. Yeah. Okay. yeah. It's about already- lions. You heard it here first. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. This is uh. This has been how to podcast. We're still figuring out how to end it. It's great.